Welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences, but once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me more than I could have imagined, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I am so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Today's podcast guest I'm really excited to introduce. It is my aunt. Her name is Laura Killian. She's married to my mom's youngest brother, and we've always just been really close. She came into my life when I was 15. She really was a major catalyst for me on my spiritual path. She introduced me to Reiki, which led me to getting my my Reiki one with her teacher. And we've always just connected over spirituality. And she was there for me through um, a really big breakup in my life. Uh, she's always just been this really grounding force. She's one of those people who, when I see her, I want to cry and not in a sad way, just in this really like, oh my God, I feel, I feel seen and heard in, in this moment. And um, you'll, you'll see when, when she's speaking, she just has this really grounded, loving presence. And I think that you'll be able to hear that. She walks us through... Uh, her life of growing up with an alcoholic father to finding him dead to working through her scarcity mindset and getting her to where she is now, which is really living and working her purpose um, of being a healer and a coach. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. You'll see when the episode starts and I pressed record and we were just rambling and talking. So the intro, her like proper introduction of her introducing herself isn't for a few minutes. So that explains why when the episode begins, we're just sort of rambling, actually talking about something very important, that being trauma. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I, as much as I enjoyed recording it. I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So whatever it is. Yeah, I know. I don't really know. <laughs> to be honest with you, season one, I had like, it was a lot more structured and it was a lot more centered around mental health. Whereas this season is a bit more like, I so I suppose because my personal stance on what mental health is has changed a bit in that it's such a personal experience for each, for, for everyone, such an individual experience for everyone that, you know, people get labels thrown on them all the time. But, but I genuinely believe that through mental health, we have the opportunity or through diagnoses or through, um, symptoms or whatever that is, we have the opportunity to, to, um, shift certain things within our lives. So, yeah. Interesting. I had a guy yesterday who was like talking about how he feels like as he digs into his trauma, like who am I? It wasn't that bad. There's kids that have it much worse. You know what I mean? So he was like degrading and I was, it didn't mm, matter. It was his experience. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. So it is so individual. Like, um, it's what it felt real and what it was real for him and his experience, even though I'm, you know, trying to compare yourself to somebody that he was talking about a kid, like 
having cancer and yeah. having to go through like and and traumatic and huge but like it didn't degrade the fact that what he experienced in his life was traumatizing for him right so, well yeah. I think that a lot of people struggle with that like I've struggled with that a few times even at one point um during this course during inner alignment I was like oh my god like the stuff that I feel traumatized over in comparison to you or to Kim feels like nothing but well I I guess you know in in story form it sounds like nothing but um that was one of the biggest things I learned through like starting to study what trauma is and how much emotional trauma can be just as um as traumatizing as physical or sexual or whatever whatever it is it's just it just depends upon how um how we we hold that in the body but it's held the same within the body yeah yeah and it's it's the it's that innocent like full heart coming into the world really pure and then the society part of us like experiencing this earthly game and it's it's all individual and it's all like really specific to that particular person and, mm-hmm. and how it felt for them and mm-hmm. it's, it's real mm-hmm. yeah okay so. well so then from here let's um kind of segue into into you so i'm talking to my aunt laura who is married to my mom's youngest brother so you guys got married when we had this conversation recently, but I can't, well, how, how old was I? I was like 16 or something. 2005. We got married September of two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I was 15 or 16, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, 16. Um, so uh, and you are, can you introduce yourself? What do you, I don't even know exactly what you call yourself. Do you call yourself a healer? <laughs> like, what are you? <laughs> What's the label you've chosen? Um, I'm Laura Killian. Well, it depends on the day. What label <laughs> have I chosen? Um, I'm a channel of the divine. How about that? Beautiful. Uh, that's, that's the big piece. Um, I, I am a dental hygienist. Um, <clears throat> that was my I'm retired now from that, but that was my original working. Um, I'm a life coach since 2004 um, and an inner alignment coach since 2017. Um, And now I am also a um, soul retrieval for childhood trauma healer within inner alignment. So with Mm -hmm. Kim Beekman's work, um, I work on my own and then I work also in in her business, um, for inner alignment. So coach slash healer, um, mother of two, hmm. 15 and 13 wife, um, farmer, but really <laughs> farmer, but really most recently, like just I, bringing divine into others really is the big piece for me. I guess that, the um, I'm trying to, I feel like that's part of the purpose to bring mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Okay. So from there, I think, um, what I like to do is kind of go through, I, I feel like I know a bit, I don't, I'm actually really looking forward to this cause I know a bit about like your upbringing and your father and stuff. And are you okay to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So I'd love for you to kind of give me an 
everyone listening a rundown of like what your upbringing was like. Yeah. So, um, my upbringing, so my mother is very earthy, um, very kind, still a a part of my life lives actually, um, upstairs in our home, um, above our garage. So a, a real stable, sustainable part of my life. Um, just been really strong always was um so she was my rock um I'm forever grateful for what she's given me um just loved really hard not a lot of physical attention I guess or um a little bit of a closed heart as far as physical touch um but really just always there um always felt safe always felt that I had her supportive. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He, he died at 53. Um, he was always a drinker from the time I was a little kid. Um, loved me the only way he knew how, (laughs) I guess. So I've grown to accept that growing up. I craved the daddy daughter thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I've looked at the lineage and the numbing and just, I'm able to see him in a totally different light. I miss him now um, mm. because I think I'm in a place where I can accept. But living on this earth with him was extremely stressful as a kid because I would see him fall down. He would, I'd have friends over and his shorts would be falling down. Mm. Um, he, so it was embarrassing. It was scary. Um, he would drive us around in the truck and, so he had like the 12 pack of um, Paps Blue Ribbon behind the seat of the truck. So I was born in 1972 and, and really he drove around with a open beer, um, just kind of sipping all day to the point of he never really got sober because he would, he would wake up like it was a cot. Even if he'd fall asleep four or five hours, he'd just wake up and have a beer. So it kept it in his system. Um, and so I can remember growing up with craving the, the daddy daughter deep talks. We didn't have that. Um, he just was numb all the time. Um, very much in scarcity. So he hoarded his money. Um, so that was always a battle, uh, becoming a teenager and really wanting like money from him. Like, Hey, can I have 50 bucks to go skiing? And it was just like, not there. And I think I, put a value on like if he loved me he would throw me some money like that's what dads do like Mm -hmm. let me go do stuff so I grew up very much in a scarcity um lineage numbing environment um he did not hit us he did not well we we got spanked and and the Elvis white belt but it was never an intention of like beating it was it was we did something we weren't supposed to when we got the spank 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 right right and I know that sounds crazy but growing up like I didn't really have any angst about that like it was a spanking and that was it it wasn't a smack across the face it wasn't a like beating um for my experience it just never felt violent it just felt like I did something wrong and I was accountable Mm -hmm. um he would wake up though if like I woke him he would wake up delirious and he'd start kind of swearing and like that was scary um dad dad get up and it'd be like 
what the hell, Jesus fucking Christ, you know, like, he Mm -hmm. would go off, but, like, until he kind of came to, so I can remember that being um, pretty scary as a kid. I I felt like I fawned all the time. I just worried he was going to fall. He got hit in the face with a softball, and I thought he was going to bleed to death. Mm -hmm. Like, so I fawned on him. I was always, like, controlling, taking care of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being a fire person, I've learned to control um it was for safety really um and he continued to drink all through my teenage years um so when I started experimenting with drinking or smoking pot he would tell me it wasn't okay and I was like what do you mean it's not okay like I kind of throw it back in his face like Mm -hmm. it's okay for you but it's not okay for me um yeah and and so um my mother left him in the nineties, um, kind of when we both decided we were going to move out of the house, like my brother went to Colorado and I moved to Long Island and she decided then that she was going to, it felt better to leave once we were out of the home Mm -hmm. and he actually stopped drinking for two years, I think, um, because she left in the hopes that she'd come Mm. back and I got a taste of who he really was. He was kind, he was Mm. funny, he was sarcastic, but like in a very nice, fun way, Um, very airy, so lots of play. Um, He was really a great golf teacher prior to his uh, demise of alcohol all the time. Like, we ran a golf course, but like early on in Saratoga, he was a golf teacher, golf pro. Um, not that he played, but he taught. So he really had a lot of gifts, but he, for whatever reason, fear kept him from taking the tests to push him forward. The numbing, the alcohol kept him from really being his um, his best self, mm-hmm. just scared. Um, and then he started drinking again when she didn't come back. Um, and at 53, I found him dead on the couch in an apartment that he had moved into, we had kind of sold the house. And when my mom and him split and, um, I went to check on him and he was gone. The phone was off the hook and he had squeezed a full beer. Um, and there he was. So, yeah, sad. 53. How old were you? Um, so that was 1999. I was in hygiene school. It was actually my last day of hygiene school because I didn't go. (laughs) Um, we were done at that point and I knew it would just be like cleaning the hygiene facility. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So I just took the day and, uh, so 72, 82, 92, that was 30, 34. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So what did you do in that moment? Like what, what was, what, I can't even imagine what one does. Well, it's interesting because my biggest fear my whole life was finding him dead Mm -hmm. because that was my fear. He'd fall, is he going to die? He got hit with a softball, is he going to die? He'd be passed out in his own feces. I got to clean him up. Is he, is he going to get sick? Is he going to die? Um, and so the the, t- the one time I guess I wasn't expecting it, um, the door was unlocked, 
it, it was an apartment that he just kind of had just basically sat and drank because my mom was gone. He lost his house, you know, um, and I would periodically buy groceries and stuff. So I just wasn't expecting it. Um, I knocked and he didn't answer. I knocked again. He didn't answer. But even then, like, I, I remember not even going there. Mm. Um, so what was it like? Um, I guess I just was in complete shock. Um, I remember he had a pack of, I quit smoking cigarettes at that point. I had quit, um, and he had a pack of Marlboros on the table. And I remember like looking at him. So the rigor mortis had set in, the fingers were a little bit blue on the tips. Um, he had died two days prior. Wow. They think, um, they called it steatosis of the liver. So in that moment, I looked at him. I can still see it vividly. Um, I looked at the phone off the hook and thought, oh my God, did he try to call me? Mm. I looked at the beer and touched it. That's how I knew it was full and it was squeezed. And then I grabbed the Marlboros and I went outside and I lit a cigarette, um, which gave me a total head rush wow. because I had it was the Marlboro in it. <laughs> and I called my mother, <clears throat> who they actually weren't divorced, they were legally separated, and she worked right down the road. And I said, I think dad's dead, I think dad's dead. I mean, I knew he was dead. Mm. And so she came, so I didn't even call 911. Um, she came. And then she ended up calling. So I think I just went into like total freeze mode or shock mm-hmm, mode mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there was relief though. Like he really wasn't living. He was just numbing. He was sort of a menace to himself. Yeah. You know, he didn't keep himself clean. It just, he was such a man of like integrity and he just had so many gifts and it was just all covered up by, Mm. so there was some relief. I don't know about in that moment, I guess, but looking back, there was definitely, yeah. I hear that so Um, frequently from people who, who have addicts in their lives who, you know, or someone who's really ill or something where it's just like, whoa, like that you don't realize it until after they're gone, that the level of suffering that they were in was just, just horrible yeah definitely definitely um it was really sad to watch it was embarrassing it was just sad um because he just had a huge heart like that was never not present Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it reminds me of danny yes very much well and danny died at 53 yeah yeah as soon as you said that i was like whoa that must have been so danny who we're talking about is um my mom and Laura's husband's brother, uh, who died at 53 of lung cancer, but same thing, um, was an alcoholic and, you know, sort of a similar story. Right. And so there was a lot of me back merging, trying to save Danny and Mm. love Danny because I couldn't do that. I definitely could see the pattern. Interesting. Yeah. So, so he, he died. And then what, what did your life look like from there? Like, what was it? Did you, how did you deal with that after he passed? Were you ever, have you ever had any proper, like, have you ever struggled with depression or with anxiety or any of that stuff? 
No, I no, I no depression and anxiety. I was uh, in the numbing, like smoking pot and drinking. That would have been the um, mm. like I kind of went that way, like business as usual. Mm. Um, obviously, I mourned, but I was you know, had just graduated from hygiene school. So when am I getting my license, starting my career? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I was bartending in Warrensburg on the side to make extra money and like that whole scene. Um, so I really like was a doer, mm-hmm. uh, do, do, do for results and numbing um, on the weekends mostly. And that was sort of what I did. So instead of feeling anxiety or feeling depression, because really when you're in that, you're feeling uh, mm-hmm. almost unbalanced deeply, but you're feeling, I numbed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually shut off feeling. Okay. So when did, so then, okay, so you were... Which actually, now that I think about it, it feels like the, I'm going to judge myself here, the weaker way to go, right? Like, <laughs> right, I have anxiety, I have depression, I'm feeling like, and I, you know, but this is like, no, I'll just numb, I'll take the easy road, just keep keeping on, you know? So. Yeah, but that's what's, I mean, so many people do that. I mean, yeah. is there an easy route? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think, I was listening to something the other day that, that, um, uh, in Buddhism, they say that to be human is to suffer, like just simply to, to be yeah. human is to suffer. And that this road is just, um, it's, it's equally painful as it is beautiful, um, to, to be, to be human, or at least we have those, those moments. So, so now that we're on that, so, you, so you were, a dental hygienist and and then when did you when did you did you would you say that you had a spiritual awakening or how did how did your like path start for you um well, that's an interesting question okay so prior to dental hygiene i was a dental assistant and i worked for a um Dr. Roselle in Exit 10 in Balsam Lake. He was a very motivated business, non-scarcity type of boss. Um, he took me in young, like I was, you know, early 20s. Um, and I was his assistant. And so he used to listen to Wayne Dyer. He actually had the cassette tapes, like the kits. There was like 12 tapes per box, you know. Mm-hmm couple hundred dollars per box of these these tapes and I had the little little tape that he gave me a little tape player for my car it was literally like those ones that had the handle and like mm-hmm, just put a cassette mm-hmm. tape in and I would just to and from work just listen to tapes and I go in his office and I'm like do you have another set and he's like yeah like he had them all um and I listened to Wayne Dyer so that was the wow. start yeah he definitely I would say he was probably the big start of um, and that was in 1993. Wow. Um, yeah. So he, he really got me started on that path. Um, I got certified in Pilates and nice. joined a, a holistic healthcare network out of Glens Falls hospital in the late nineties. Um, and that's where I met a feng shui woman, um, 
uh, my Reiki master, Cheryl Baldwin, Mm -hmm. um, some reflexology doctors, um, or practitioners, myofascial release, no, it wasn't myofascial release, craniosacral, um, yoga instructors. And so we would meet and we were trying to bring like these modalities into, into the public. And, you know, it was, it wasn't really super popular then. (laughs) Um, and so it was through meeting Cheryl that I got my Reiki one. I was introduced to feng shui. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where I started with Dr. Roselle and Wayne Dyer. And then I started reading conversations with God, which was a pivotal book for me. Mm. Um, it still is. Um, and then just started meeting this group and that then the Reiki started is then I started giving Reiki treatments. Um, and even as I merged into dental hygiene, it wasn't my passion. Um, I loved the people. I loved having somebody in my chair every 45 minutes Mm. that I could connect with. That was the beauty of that career. Um, but even then in dental hygiene, when I was doing as a hygienist in Lake George, I was seeking out, like I went to life coaching school, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. prior to getting married. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've always been doing this stuff. I mean, uh, we were talking about it the other day, but I honestly, in a lot of ways can probably credit you with being like one of the first catalysts for me because I ended up getting my Reiki one with Cheryl because you, I'd never heard of Reiki before, but you started, you know, practicing Reiki on me and my mom and my sister and whomever else. And this, I was like 18 at the time. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's awesome. I know. Well, I know, I know, but, but it's so funny. Like, I love hearing about people like, you know, like you who were trying to find this stuff, like the fact that you're listening to Wayne Dyer in 1993 is so cool to me. Yeah. (laughs) Because, because there was no, it was just, wasn't around. Yeah. And he did a lot of healing around his father. So it was very relatable for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, so this is, I, I love your story in particular because you are now, are you 48? I am 48. Yep. So, and you just this year are officially like fully employing yourself through your practices through with, with your, you know, all of, all of the things that you're doing. Cause up until this point, you'd been kind of supplementing still with, dental hygiene uh, being a dental hygienist and then the farm too right yes yeah but I've worked with Kim Beekman's inner alignment program I, I worked a lot of the law of attraction the scarcity pain bodies um to keep kind of walking forward I think the security or the scarcity the fear um was really pretty strong and mm. that that's the the vehicle that pushed me um, through, and even Kim's level two coaching, she really sets it up so that you keep walking into the business. So mm-hmm. in 2004, I drove to Rhode Island every weekend for five weekends, and I took, I got certified through the uh, Coaches Training Institute. And it, it was a great program. It was very similar. It was it was a little more business. Um, like I thought I'd be a hygienist that went into dental offices and helped the team, mm. helped coach the office. 
um, was sort of the original thought process. But when, when I finished, I remember they said, okay, you got to go find clients and you've got six months to get this many hours of clients. And, and you just kind of let go. And the fear kicked in. Like I would say to people, oh, you know, I, I'm a coach. And they'd be like, what's that? And, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I can help you with your desires and help mm. you, you know. And I was scared, but they were like, what the heck's coaching? Like, it wasn't really popular then. And I, I was scared to tell them how much, you know, and at that point, I think it was like 50 or $75 a session. And, um, I was like, and they were like, that's crazy. And I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So like really fear, um, really fear. And so I, I kept doing the Reiki, I kept coaching, but more of just like service to others, community, putting it out there, but not really uh, making money. And, and through Kim's program, she like had us set up a website, had us put in, um, make it LLC, get insurance. Like it was so much more wow. of a structure that, that I just kept walking. Um, and then as I got experience, um, it it just, I started getting testimonials and I was watching people get to the other side in eight weeks. And so Mm. that was where, and then referrals started coming in because, Hey, your friend is doing really well. Like I gave her your name because you helped me so much, you know? So it was, Mm -hmm. that was where the confidence started to come in. Mm -hmm. So really it was very much fear, um, that, that, that paralyzed me. Mm -hmm. Um, and through this work, I've learned to keep walking. I've learned to use law of attraction to call in what I desire, which also helped me with the scarcity mm-hmm. um, tremendously. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a big, huge piece of my life to, is teaching the abundance piece because I've worked it like a dog on a mm-hmm. boat <laughs> and still do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that most people, I mean, a majority of human beings have, have that issue because we're not really not really taught or shown how to you know it's it's just so it's so much more um normal or mainstream to like go out and get you know to go get the job go get like the the safe money job and then especially for you though with this work like this just wasn't around people weren't really even doing it it's so much easier now for someone like me or or younger even to be like oh I want to do that because there's so many people doing it now but but you really had to kind of pave your own path in a lot of ways because the only people out there were like the Wayne Dyers and the, you know, like the big public speakers, I would imagine. Like you didn't really have anyone to um, to see who was also doing that. I mean, I guess other than having met Cheryl and that group of people, but it still wasn't like totally accessible, I would imagine. Right. And it also gets the like woo-woo, right? So spirituality then, and even now there are still some that like, it feels woo woo to them. Mm -hmm, So if mm -hmm. there's religious structure or um, like anything off that path of what they were told right or wrong, good or bad feels woo woo is the sort of the term that gets thrown around um, quite a bit. Um, And so, yeah, so people witchcraft, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that, that kind of thing. Well, and that's where I kind of want to go like this season. Last season with the podcast, I was a little bit more like, tiptoeing around what I felt like people could hear and what people wanted to hear. And now this, this season, I'm just kind of like putting it all out there because in terms of the spirituality and the woo woo, because I mean, it's pretty obvious that and maybe it's obvious to me, maybe it's not obvious to everyone, but that like as humans, we're moving in this direction and, 
And that kind of spiritual connection was always um, found historically through religion. But now, you know, obviously religion has been peeled back in so many ways, but it is such a crucial component um, for, for all humans to, to, to tap into that divinity. It just, there's, there's like, there's nothing else like it. And you were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the peace. Right. It's It's the the peace. It is the peace and it is abundant. There's plenty. So we were taught when you're talking about like the, the scarcity, like we were taught there wasn't enough or I got to get mine before they get theirs. But it's not that. It's a win, win, win. There's there's an just an unlimited supply of everything, of love, of abundance, of, and everybody's birthright is to have it. It's not like you were a good girl or you took this path or you went to college or you went this way. Like it, none of that matters. Right. It's right inside everybody's heart to tap into the divinity and then from there they can have anything they desire and it sounds so like simple or but we are taught like you got to work hard and you got to suffer and you got to go this path and and you have to believe in this or you have to believe in that and so the buddha part of the suffering um i think that's where we right so there was this whole i was brought up like when you get to you know, it's heaven or hell. Were you a good girl or were you a bad girl? Oh, sorry, you go that way. Oh, no, you were a good girl? Okay, you mm-hmm. go that way. But that, it's really hell here. Like, you can mm-hmm. make your life mm-hmm. hell here. You can get your lessons and you can beat yourself up for your choices and you can carry guilt and should all over yourself. I should have done this. I should have done that. That's where you really live your hell or heaven here on earth but the divine is none of that it's right inside of you like just waiting for you to say let's go I'm ready I want this I desire this I feel this and it will come as long as it's from your heart and not your ego Um, and that's really where a lot of Kim's work um, is going and and mine as well Mm -hmm. and so like Mm -hmm. not being afraid to say like I freaking love Jesus I love him He's my snuggler, my spooner, my 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 go-to, my safety for my kids. He's part of what helps me have a healthy long-term relationship with my husband, my abundance, like and but it's not like the Jesus of you have to behave this way and you have to say this certain prayer this way and it has to be under this religion or that religion or mm-hmm. it's my Jesus, me, the one that connects with me. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody else that might be the word Buddha or love or universe or divine mother or mother Gaia or spirit or mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's their personal connection with their own divinity. And mm-hmm. it's they're waiting like they're just sitting there like tap into me Mm -hmm. and so I love that you're going this way because it's gutsy to put it out there but it's it is when you hit the bullseye you feel it and I just keep getting data I get abundance I get the trust (laughs) I get the the deserve I've released the guilt I'm a hot mess here I'm not a perfect mother I'm not a perfect I'm not a perfect healer I'm not a perfect coach I'm not a perfect woman I don't have a perfect body and I am so incredible and so much love and so fantastic and Mm. that's not ego like I feel that with such such deep love for myself um and it's freedom Mm-hmm. It's freedom from all the expectations and the shooting. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Love that. So there's a, I remember you telling me a story ages ago about, um, I don't know how old you are when this happened, but you were sitting in church and you physically felt a pair of arms wrap around you. Do, do you, <laughs> I mean. Oh yeah, that I, was pivotal. Yeah, okay. Can you tell the story? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I feel like maybe that's how it shows up is like, um, you can talk all you want about opening people up to their divinity, but it is when they start kind of trying it and opening to it that it will show itself in the way that it's supposed to show itself to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, so I was actually in, um, uh, one of those, I'll call it a pyramid thing. I, I don't really want to label it. I, I learned a lot, but it was like an Amway shifted online selling program that yeah. I kind of got like linked into. And I was at this conference, um, <clears throat> And it was with the, you know, the people that brought me in. And so we were learning about, you know, all the ways to sell the products and help people jump on board because that's the whole way that they make money is jumping people on board. Um, And I was all in, right? The fire in me, let's go and worked it, worked it like a dog. And we were at a conference in Maine, um, way up, like by Acadia Park and the Sunday morning service um, was happening. And so uh, the people that brought me in were like, come on, we're going to go to the Sunday service. You know, it's important for you to plug in and have this thing. And I was like, oh, here we go, like into the church part and somebody mm. trying to push me a certain way into believing what they believe. And um, so we're in, and I remember we're all standing and it was like, I don't know if they were like, there was music and so it was, you know, very intense and, and they were, you know, praise God and praise God. And so, and I, I had at that point, I really was brought up Catholic and you know, my mom brought us to church and we made communion cause we were supposed to, but like, I don't know that I ever, and I would pray to God as a teenager, you know, all those nights in the bathroom, if we were at a party or something was going on, you know, and, and mm-hmm. really God always got me out of it. But like, I didn't, I didn't really feel it. I didn't feel any divine presence. And we were standing and I was with this couple, Mike and Heather. And I remember, um, I was like, God, I feel so alone. Like I don't have anybody. I don't have a man. I don't have, you know, a fiance. I, they were hugging and they were, you know, I was looking around. I remember and seeing all these couples at this service. And I was like, I just really felt extremely alone in that moment and I felt these arms come around the back of me I mean it was so palpable and I just froze for a moment and then I remember like leaning into it and and really receiving and from that point on I knew that I was not alone and I knew that there was a divine God Mm. with me. Well, and that's exactly where I think, at least from my personal experience, and I think that a lot of people experience this and this is them being, you know, as we were saying, being out of touch with this, this divine part of themselves. Like there is this feeling as a human, regardless of how many people are around you of being alone And when I was in my 
deepest, darkest days of my, my panic and anxiety when I really just felt like I wasn't sure if I could live anymore. I mean, it was because I was like, oh my God, I'm alone. And I have a loving boyfriend and loving parents. And there's all these people, all these people around who want to help me. But there was still just this absolute feeling of like, just, um, despair and exhaustion in my body of feeling like I just couldn't do it anymore because I was trying to do it by myself um, without being tapped into that. And I think that so many people experience maybe not that intensely, but to some degree, just like that feeling of being alone. And then on top of that, you know, as we're in the middle of this pandemic and people really are just more separated than ever. Um, and like finding that key to connect into that part of themselves is so important, but I also, I'm, I'm hesitating or I'm wanting to point out at least that as we've discussed, like so many, the other issue is that so many people have some level of religious trauma. I know that I do. And, um, and so I think that a lot of people will listen to this and, and there will be so much hesitation to hearing like us talk about Jesus this way or talk about, um, God or, or, you know, the divine in this way, because of, because of the way it's been taught to us, which you've touched on, you know, was how, was how you were raised, um, thinking that, that it's outside of us. That's, that's how we're raised. And that, I mean, I was raised thinking that God was like up in the sky with like some smiter stick or something, you know, like like ready ready to strike someone down. Um, so it took me a long time, even up until it, it was just a couple of years ago that I was even able to use the word God. And same thing, I mean, with Jesus, like my relationship with Jesus, maybe two years ago, I would say, was like the first time I was able to form something with and and even say that name because, I mean, as you know, I come from a crazy line of Catholics, but but I think that there's a lot of people, regardless of their religion, that, I mean, and that's the issue, I think, with with this puzzle piece is that it's been so... um, uh, I don't know, even know what the word is, but it's just been, it's been distorted so heavily yeah. by, by, uh, Man. yeah, I was, was going to, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say patriarchy. Right. <laughs> Good, bad, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's been so like, and really that's the work is to open up your heart space, sit in quiet and ask the question, who is mine? Who is my divine? Show me. Like, if you're open and you ask the question, you'll get answered. Mm -hmm. Um, Who are you? What is my form? Because it is so unique that by doing that, you allow that divinity to come into you the way it feels best for you. And that's what will sustain. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and really being open. But it is, again, it's fear of keeping walking. Keep walking towards the divine because... um, sometimes it's just more comfortable to blame your spouse for how you're feeling or your aloneness or blame your mother or blame the church or blame Mm -hmm. like your upbringing. But really it's if you're ready and you have the strength to just open your heart and sit alone with yourself in those moments when you feel bliss of like I'm out in the country, I'm by the ocean. Um, you know, you know, the feeling of when you just feel connected to something um, and opening your heart to just say, who are you to me? And, and leave that and, and wait for the answer, open up for 
your answer, your connection, mm-hmm. um, because it has to be found from from within. And there are people who think that this is it, that this earth is it, and their souls don't move on, and they don't have a connection, and there's nothing else. And that's fine, because that's their truth. And that's, who am I to say right, wrong, good, bad? I don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I just know what it feels like in my heart, mm-hmm. and that's my data. Mm-hmm. Do you have... Um... What's the best, I mean, there's so many ways for it to, again, it, the thing is, is that it's so individual and this is the difficult part with, with, I think this process is, and, and what I found so unique about Kim's program, Kim Beekman, who Laura keeps talking about, um, is a woman who is one of your teachers, Laura, right? Would you say that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. One of my greatest teachers. Um, who Laura studied with and is now um, a healer in her program with and I'm um, in the first part of the doing this program this eight-week program Um, and I totally just lost my train of thought (laughs) well you were saying that she was the one who started opening up the the pathway for like how you were you were trying to I think go to the like what is the best way yeah yeah okay there we go there we go yeah yeah so what have you found again because it is so individual what have you found to be I guess for yourself you can really speak for yourself but because you have you you work with people on this so much like do you have you found that there are certain things that that do seem to work um for people in terms of like exercises or practices um for people to get in touch with that part of themselves yes and no um you're right it's so individual so we offer so many tools so that people can find what feels best Mm -hmm. um for for me it's a morning practice i have fire so i do get up and i'm able to get on my yoga mat um there's a meditative flow that Kim's created. There's yoga poses that are, you know, ancient that help you really um, ground yourself. So I can connect to myself through yoga and breath. Um, definitely breathing techniques. Um, Dr. Wright's technique of breathing, Kim uses a lot. Um, grounding breath, energizing breath. And then I sit in my heart, I sit quiet, whether I'm doing a guided meditation or just quiet to connect with yourself. And so for me, that's filling my cup, giving to myself first before I hit the ground, taking care of my dogs and the cows and my kids and my husband, like me first. And that connection is what carries me through the day. Um, Some people's in the afternoon, some people's in the evening, but like allowing that time even 20 minutes a day to just connect with yourself Mm -hmm. Kim will sit with a cup of tea and just look out her window at nature and just connect some people go for a hike or a bike ride and it feels good because you're giving to yourself um but learning to really feel yourself and quiet versus check in the box of like I did my exercise today like are you feeling Mm -hmm. what it feels like to nourish your body are Mm -hmm. you drinking your Mm -hmm. smoothie and feeling it nourish your body Mm -hmm. so there are many ways we do a lot through breath meditation forgiveness for lineage work um yoga we use those tools to connect 
Um, but ultimately I feel very grounded in the earth. I feel the roots of my body in the earth. I feel connected to the divine and I merge all that in my heart and just sit and see what do I feel like today? What Mm -hmm. am I connecting to? And it's, it's in that quiet, I think is where you find out who you really are, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. what your desires are and really who you want to be. Because we can talk about all of how we want to give to society and be a good parent and do be a good worker. But when you walk out in the day, like, is your heart open? Are you living from your heart or or are you living from this should and the shouldn'ts and the ego and the mind? Mm -hmm. Um, If the mind and the ego is driving, um, you're not connected to that heart space, that divinity that's within you. And I think that it's from there that we we start righting and wronging each other, shitting and shitting, mm. judging each other, you know, and we all do it because we're human. I'm not enlightened. So I'm screwing up all the time, but like that is my work and that is my daily practice to help me keep mm-hmm. the heart driving. I mm-hmm. do go to ego. I do go to mind, but I, I do my practice so that I get in my heart every day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, as you're saying this, I hear you saying this shouldn't, shouldn't, piece and and I do that or in in relation to these morning practices or these daily practices and that I sometimes get myself caught up in like in my perfectionism because that's one of my things is like I need to do the practices this way every day and I and I have days where I I'm so disconnected from them but I'm just doing them anyway because I'm thinking that it's going to get me somewhere but but the whole point is that you need is is to feel that level of connection in them yeah good point that's kim will talk about the doing of it right it's not about the doing it's about the feeling Mm -hmm. and so some days it is just sitting with a cup of tea and looking out at nature or connecting with your body um and not necessarily a doing Mm -hmm. Um, i can get caught up in the doing because of the fire part of me that that goes 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 so it is kind of constantly kind of rechecking into the being part yeah So good point. I'm glad you said that. But also I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because there is also the part of me that, or what I've learned is that like, and the way that Kim works is, you know, you work with the momentum, but like you really do, uh, you do have to hit that kind of, that rock bottom. You have to want it. There kind of has to be like the why for, for why you're doing it every day. And there has to be in some ways like, a certain level of pretty high commitment, you know, because so many people are struggling and then they don't, and then they fall off. They, they can't quite find commit to anything. Um, and, and, and I, I found that through a certain level of commit, there is a certain level of commitment that is required, but then there is the, the, the level of connection that's required as well, I suppose. Yeah. Both. You have to be fed up enough yeah. to want it. Yeah, you not gotta because, be done. Again, not because I should go take this program or I should go connect with myself in the morning, but like I'm fed up feeling this way or I'm fed up attracting animosity out of others or I'm fed up attracting scarcity in my life or I'm fed up with my children and I not being able to connect or um, where I'm controlling them and bossing them or they're disconnecting. Like you have to be 
fed up enough to want it and that desire and that fire has to be there for you to show up for yourself mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. spot on it's mm-hmm. not everybody will be ready in this lifetime and right. that's okay right right can you see others with the glasses that they have on and the lenses that they're living their life and seeing their life through and can right. you be okay with that that's just their path right yeah, that is a huge part of it. I remember when I first was sort of like waking up to the spiritual path, I wanted everyone to know everything that I'd learned because I thought that I'd figured out something, some key to the universe. And then there was like a whole nother level of um, sort of breakdown and awakening that happened where I just stopped doing that because I found that it just didn't help me at all. It, it was just yeah. like, oh, is that the realization that everyone is truly on their own path and the only person I really need to worry about is myself and and that there's so much more to learn actually from being from from staying quiet and just listening to someone rather than me trying to teach someone something which is what I was trying to do for so long um has been another like huge lesson that I've learned and 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 learning I think that and there's so much um I was definitely moving with a lot of judgment uh, at that time in my life. Like, oh, like this person needs to know this or this person, you know, whereas now I'm just like, oh, this person's reacting this way from this place and that's okay. Um, But that also also touches on the belief that we both have that we do continue to reincarnate um, to higher levels of consciousness, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is my belief. And and it feels so good. And it and, and it feels so flow versus suffering, right? And it feels easier. And it feels like you it just feels so much better that you want to go run and shout it at the rooftops. Yeah, and you want to yeah. shake people, <laughs> because it feels so good for you. But yeah, there's the like, you know, if the student is ready, the teacher yeah. will appear thing, yeah, right? Exactly. So it exactly. is the, like, I honor who you are and where you are. And you're no, I'm no better than you just because I believe and feel this way because your experience is yours. But mm-hmm. there is that part of wanting to just shout it from the rooftops because it, it feels so flow. It feels easy and effortless versus all the suffering that mm. I know I endured growing up or being a teen or being a young adult that it just, I just feel the difference. So of course I want to tell everybody and bring it out there, but they have to want it for Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may not be their way. They may find their way to ease and love and flow in a different vehicle. And that's great too. Um, Really just coming back to loving each other and the oneness that we are is the vision um, for the planet versus I get mine and, you don't get yours and I win, you lose. And right, right. That, Which is all just fear. That doesn't feel good for me. Right. The unkindness or the, the cutting somebody off and it, that doesn't feel good for me anymore. Right. So a part of this um, podcast, within each episode, what I want to do is either tell or retell um, the story of a woman um you know, from history who we've either not heard about or their story was told incorrectly. Um, and so if you don't mind, I've chosen someone for your episode. Um, and I'm going to read, it's actually, I actually read it this morning. Um, there's a book, I'm actually going to send it to you. It's called Mary Magdalene Revealed by Megan Watterson. And it is so incredible. 
Um, but there's a story about a woman called Thecla, um, who was a follower of, um, well, of Christ. But um, what was was it? B. Thecla, T H E C L A. And so what I'm going to, I'm going to read this little section. I hope, I hope it doesn't take too long, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. And then I, and then I want to talk to you af- about it after, cause I read it this morning and I was almost in tears. It was one of those experiences where it had opened my heart so wide, just, just, just reading her story, um, that it was one of those moments I sat there after and I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is, this is one of those divine moments. Um, Okay. So it's called The Girl Who Baptized Herself. It says, in, this tumultuous, in, in the tumultuous time immediately after Christ's crucifixion, Christianity is seen as a forbidden religion. It's illegal to be Christian. Yet this crazy, devoted man named Paul is traveling from village to village, telling stories about his experience of Christ. He happens to stop in a small village where a 17-year-old named Thecla lives. She can hear Paul from her bedroom window, and she's riveted. She remains at her window for three days and three nights as Paul recounts his misadventures with Christ. Something begins to unravel for her, or something that had always existed within her suddenly races to the surface, and in those three days, her life transformed. Her fiancé begs her to come away from the window. He tells her that she should be ashamed for directing her love away from him. He reminds her of her duty, of the law, and he enlists her mother, who begs for her to return to them as well. But Thecla remains, and even more, she begins to want to meet Paul and to leave the life that had been expected of her for a life she now feels is authentically her own. Her fiancé reports Paul to the governor, calling him a magician, attributing him with the powers to persuade young women not to marry. The governor has Paul arrested and sent to jail. Thecla leaves her house in the middle of the night to go see him. She gives her bracelets to the prison gatekeeper as admission, and he lets her in. She gives in an an ornate mirror to the guard at the cell door, easily discarding the remnants of her old life. He lets her in as well, and then she goes to Paul and sits at his feet. The next day, word gets out that that Thecla had been to the prison to see Paul. Her fiancé is beyond outraged. Thecla is his. She is his possession. Thecla's mother agrees and screams for her punishment. Her own mother suggests that she is burned at the stake for breaking the law of her betrothal, for going her own way, for following her fiery young heart. The governor has Paul whipped and thrown out of town, but to teach a lesson, he has Thecla stripped and binds her to the stake. The pyre is lit, and I've always imagined that she was visibly trembling, but that her resolve comes from a place within her, and it gives her this courage that reminds her of who she is and what she's capable of. Just as the flames are beginning to reach her, Thecla makes the sign of the cross and a sudden thundercloud covers her and all the spectators. Rain pours down onto the fire that was meant to take her life and she is saved. She saved herself. Thecla finds a robe to wear, a robe that was more commonly worn by men, and sets off in Paul's footsteps to catch up with him. A childhood, uh, excuse me, a child finds her in in the market of a nearby town, a child who knows where Paul can be found. Thecla is led back to where he had been waiting for her, in deep prayer, not knowing if she had lived or died. She greets him and informs him that she will cut her hair and follow him wherever he is led. He's flattered, I'm sure, but also concerned. Thecla, it seems, was extraordinarily beautiful, so he voices his fears that Thecla will only run into more trials as an unmarried young woman in this forbidden religion called Christianity. 
She reassures him, only give me the seal of Christ and no trial will touch me. She wanted baptism. She wanted confirmation from her, from him, her elder, that she was ready and even maybe worthy of being baptized. Paul responds to be patient. So she listens as, patient, as patiently as love does, and she remains with him at his side. Their ministry leads them to Antioch, an area that the Romans referred to as Asia Minor, which was an epic portion of the Mediterranean. They are walking down the crowded streets in the center of town when the president of Syria, Alexander, notices Thecla and decides he must have her, right there as his own. First, he pleads with Paul and offers him bribes of money and power, hoping to appeal to Paul's greed. Paul pretends that he doesn't know Thecla. He essentially disowns Thecla right there for everyone to see. She yells out, wise and empowered teen that she is, and insists that Alexander not violate her. Alexander, being a president rife with power, goes for it anyway, and tries to take her right there in the street. Thecla won't have it. She rips his crown from his head and tears his garments, drawing attention to his actions and subsequently shame from onlookers. Again, Thecla is saved. She has saved herself. She's brought before a court to judge her actions and is sentenced to death in the stadium. Thecla again is stripped and her hands are bound. She's led out into the stadium to face her fate. She's forced to wear one word, which is the word that encapsulates how she's been charged. Sacrilege. She is wearing the word sacrilege, standing naked in the center of a packed stadium as the crowd cheers on the arrival of the wild beasts that are meant to take her down. A ferocious lion approaches her. I've often imagined the look of love she must have given it, courage coming to face with courage, the depth of recognition that must have been there. Supposedly, the lioness stopped charging at Thecla and instead lay down at her feet. Frustrated, the officials sent out more wild animals to attack her, but the lioness has now become Thecla's protectress, and she mauls each next beast that tries to harm her. Eventually, the lioness is killed, but the crowd has begun to turn. The women in the crowd begin to scream, Unholy judgment! They start to proclaim Thecla's innocence and to voice the true sacrilege, which is, put, which, which is to put such love to death. In the stadium with Thecla is a pit of water filled with wild sea lions. As more beasts enter the stadium and charge at her, Thecla declares, In the name of Jesus Christ, I baptize myself. As she enters the water, a cloud of fire suddenly surrounds her so that she can't be touched. And for a third time, and a, a third and final time, Thecla saves herself. The women in the crowd now recognize who she is, or maybe they recognize themselves in her. This is the part in her story that I love the most. It's the part that gives me the most hope when the women in the crowd no longer see her as separate from them. And so they refuse to let her be harmed. Together, they throw rose petals, nard, cinnamon, and cardamom into the arena below where she is standing. And the intoxicating perfume that the roses and spices create lulls the beasts into a stupor and they all lie down and fall asleep. Then the scripture reads, quote, All the women cried out in a loud voice as if from one mouth, praising Thecla's courage. In saving herself, Thecla has unified, has unified the force of love in all the women around her. In freeing herself, she has freed them. This story comes from one of the earliest Christian scriptures that has ever been found. It's titled The Acts of Paul and Thecla. Scholars know that it was widely read because so many copies have been recovered. But in the late second century, an early Christian leader and theologian, theologian named Tertullian condemned this scripture because it implied that women had the spiritual authority to lead communities and to baptize. 
The scripture ends by relating that Thecla healed many, that her ministry lasted until she died at the ripe old age of 90, and that she's buried supposedly right near Paul. I think the most threatening aspect of Thecla's story is that she frees herself from any illusion that power resides outside of her. The Thecla who was to be married off, the Thecla from a prominent family with the weight of her mother's expectations, the girl who was bound by the law to become a wife and held and held no earthly rights to follow the dictates, the call of something inside her. She died during those three days and nights when she refused to leave her window in the sound of Paul's voice. She began to move of her own volition. She began to go against expectations of a girl considered the inferior sex in her time. She began to do what her heart was telling her to do, and that was the sacrilege to those in power that she refused to obey or validate any authority outside of her, even and ultimately Paul's. She baptized herself because she realized she could. She realized that all along within her, she contained the power to save herself. And so she did. The end. (laughs) So it is. And so it is. Oh, I just love those stories from, I mean, who knows how true it is that she had fire, you know, I don't know, like before she jumped into a tub of sea lions. But the whole idea is just that, you know, that, that, that the power lies within. Yeah. Brought me to tears. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was like, I was, I was almost crying reading it this morning. I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I just love these stories of these women. And I don't know what it is about women for me right now, but I just, because I know that men have the same struggles too, of course. And speaking about women solely is to talk about duality, which, you know, ultimately doesn't help anyone. But, but, um, but as humans, like, and, 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 as women who, who were faced with so much, you know, like she obviously was faced with losing so much, but just following, following her, her heart and like really getting in touch with that part of her, um, her divinity, her divinity. Yes. And so that, and you are a woman, so it does feel good. And we do all have the power. Nobody's exempt from that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nobody doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it in other women, underneath all the whatever's on the exterior, whatever earthly stuff, but seeing that in others and feeling it in yourself is, whew, that was good, Kel. Well, and that's why I think with that story specifically, so much of what the intention of this podcast is like through seeing someone else, even just through hearing that story, like you you're touched so much by 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 just hearing about someone else's courage um and just relating to them in that way which is essentially them just reflecting that piece of you back to yourself but that's just i think that there's so much in that in in um in our own growth as humans is to is to see and to hear um the struggles and just, just, just the stories of other people, um, in order for us to say, Oh yeah, like that lives in me too. Or I can do that too. Yeah. It just gives it's us like, that. 
It's like she felt so deeply in her heart, her truth, that it didn't matter what else anybody did or said. She just kept walking into the truth of yeah. her heart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oof. Oof. So. Hallelujah. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> so I think that that takes us to the end here. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to... To add, I mean, we've kind of, I didn't really expect us to talk about divinity as much as we have, but, you know, that's where we've both landed and feeling like that's really like at, at the bottom of everything or at the top of everything, um, you know, everything else falls away. And that's really like what's at the top of the mountain, like the very tippy top of the mountain is just like that one, it's, it's that, it's that connection with, with the heart, with the, with the divine. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's hard to add anything to that because I think that is the nugget. Um, but often I'll get asked, and I know Kim's been asked and um, other coaches in the program, like, what can I do for the planet? What can I do for people suffering? And mm. what can I do for the, you know, the, the Republican-Democrat duality and the religious duality and the black lives matter white duality mm -hmm. police like what can i do and so connecting to that to to your truth and your heart and then just sending that feeling of yeah. love out into the planet and healing our own lineage and our own gunk and stepping into our I am presence. Our divinity is how we shift the planet. Mm, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm with you there. So do you do, do you do remote work? You'd must, right? Yes. Okay. Like from anywhere in the country. Yeah. yeah or the world. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere in the world. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. So in Africa, London, France, Hawaii. <laughs> you've had, you've had clients from all of those places. I have. Wow. I that have. is crazy. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. So, um, so you work with Kim. I'm going to be, I think, talking to Kim anyway, um, yep. on here as well. Um, so I'll dive more into her work and her stuff with her, but you also offer your own, do you do it as an eight week thing or what is it? You tell me. Yes. I, so I do Kim's, um, I teach Kim's work. Um, with her and on my own um, and it is an eight-week program it's where we see the wiring of the neurosynapses get into place so the old beliefs get wired in um, the trauma starts to begin to get healed <clears throat> from the childhood and together the two pieces of that really see the transformation over the eight weeks so mm -hmm. okay yes and that sort of leads us back, like what we first touched on right at the beginning was um, this whole piece about trauma. And that really, I mean, beyond, or I guess before, you don't need to do the trauma work before you get in touch with your divinity because you can get in touch with your divinity at any time, doesn't matter. But it does seem to be a massive puzzle piece in this, um, in, in kind of, in healing, really. Yes, yeah, so the trauma can sometimes just be so loud that it's covering up a lot of the stillness. It's hard to be still in your heart and mm. connect if the trauma is vibrating within the body still. It's mm -hmm. kind of what we find. Mm -hmm. But no, it can be accessed anytime. It just depends, again, on the person. Um, 
you can find the divine within you. You can heal your own. You're not your trauma. You're not your lineage. Mm. Um, you're that divine peace already. But sometimes if the trauma's loud enough, it's just really hard to be still until we clean up those pieces that are vibrating in the body from childhood. And would you say that everyone has trauma? <laughs> everybody has trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Big T, little T, yeah. everybody has some yeah. level of trauma. Yeah. We absorb it in the body. We don't have the rational mind um, until we're 22 or 23. So anything we feel, we absorb in the body. And we do get contrast at an early age, as simple as somebody getting lost in a card store um, to being bullied or the sister or brother favored to sexual trauma, physical trauma, mm. narcissistic, narcissistic parents, um, you know, those kind of things can, can be anywhere from a little trauma to a big trauma, but we all have trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just want people, I think that trauma work, it seems to be kind of the buzzword amongst the healing world at the moment, but it is, um, the more that the more information that's come out around it, you know, in terms of this big T, little T again, for me, that was a huge thing. Cause I didn't have any big T trauma. It was all little T stuff, just, you know, like sibling stuff and like, you know, being yelled at this one way or, you know, and, yeah. and again, it's like, it, it, it can stick with you just as intensely as having been physically beaten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that that's really important to point out for anyone who isn't sure whether they have trauma or feels like they're feeling a certain way and that they shouldn't because they had a certain upbringing. Like, I think that there's a lot of people who deal with that. And, um, so, so yeah, so there's, there's work to be done always. Always. <laughs> um, and what's the best way, so you don't really do Instagram or anything like that. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Um, Probably email is the best way or phone. Okay. Um, you have my email, right? I okay. do. Yes. Smiles one at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, I can put yeah. that also in the, there's like show notes that people can read um, within the podcast page. So I can put your info there if people want to get in touch with you. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you Thank for you having so me. Thank you so much. It's such a, such a pleasure to have um, a family member on. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm excited. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Laura. Um, I've put all of her info uh, and any other info from the episode in the show notes, including her email if you want to work with her. Um, if you have any questions or comments for me, please feel free to send me a DM or an email. I truly love hearing from you and thanks for listening. <laughs>